Well, good morning, Grace. It is so good to be with you this morning. And I must tell you, I have been at Adventure Week when uh, all you kids have filled this room, hundreds of kids, and I have seen you sing those songs and do the hand motions. And I could even envision that this morning as we were singing that song and, and uh, hear you singing that. That was so good. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you would turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And as you turn there, there's a couple of thoughts that I'd like to share as we start the service this morning. And one of them came in the very first Sunday when we started to do the live stream and we were quarantined and having to meet together as a scattered church but a gathered church. And one of the things that struck me is that this is a microcosm as the local church of the reality of the universal church. There's been a longing from all of you. I've been talking to many of you and people here, and as we have talked, there is a desire for us to be back in this place as the local church worshiping together. But is there a desire for us that realize that someday the universal church, which has been scattered, will someday gather around the throne of God and sing holy, 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 that you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power and praise. And so as you have a longing to be back in this place as Gracie V. Free La Mirada, I hope you have a longing for the day when we will stand around the throne and worship God as a total church. The second thought I've had or the question I have is simply this, how is your life? How are you doing? How are you doing these past several weeks? I've talked to some of you and you've found the upside to this. You have found that life has slowed down for you. You have been forced to be together as a family. So you've been able to enjoy that time together. You've been able to take walks. You've been able to play games and do puzzles and read the word together and pray together. And you are finding a, a joy in this time of awkwardness and difficulty and weirdness. But some of you are dealing with fears and anxieties. There are economic fears. Some of you have lost your jobs or have lost significant amount of employment. And you're wondering, how am I going to pay the bills and care for my family? Some of you are ones who have high, you're in a high risk category. And so health concerns are very real to you and your family. Kids, you have been pulled out of school and you are being, uh, you are having to finish your schooling maybe online and you're away from your classmates and your peers and you haven't been able to play with them or as young adults go out to eat or Disneyland or a movie or just hang with one another. Some of you in your education, this has been a year that you've achieved an education milestone where you are going to graduate from eighth grade high school, college, or graduate school, and you've been looking forward to the ceremony and all the celebration that comes with that, and it's all been stripped away. No grad night, no prom, no graduation, no walking with cap and gown or receiving that hood that you have earned and worked so hard for. There's a lot of disappointment. And my question is, how is your life? Is this making you grumpy and irritable and frustrated and depressed? Or is there a way that you're finding joy and hope and contentment and peace 
in these circumstances. We've entitled this Passion Series Week, Crown Him, and we have been looking at the sacrificial king last Sunday, and Friday night we looked at the crucified king, and today we're going to look at the risen king. But my question is, does the sacrificed, crucified, risen king have any impact on our lives today in the situations we find ourselves in April of 2020? Or are they segregated and segmented and compartmentalized and do they never intersect? And I think we will see today that Jesus, the risen king, has everything to do with the situation we find ourselves in today. So let's go to the word. We're going to start reading in John chapter 10 in verse 7. But before we go there, let me pray for us. Father, you are the risen king. You are the Lord of life. You have conquered sin and death. We celebrate what you have done for us. We celebrate who you are. We worship you today, Father, and pray that as we go to your word, you would teach us even today more that we need to know about you, that we would grow deeper in our faith and our understanding of you, Father, no matter what the circumstances are of our life where you find us today. In your name we pray, amen. John chapter 10, starting at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them up and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus starts talking, and he uses the illustration of a shepherd, and he says that I am the door for the sheep. I am the way in. And the way out, I am the gate. He is referring back to, he, he's referring back to Numbers 27, where he said, we need a shepherd, one who is going to lead the sheep. And Jesus, what, he, what he's illustrating here is a shepherd, when they bring their sheep back into the fold, the shepherd's doing two things. He's going to count his sheep to make sure that they are all there. 
And then he's also going to inspect the sheep to see if there's any wounds that they need care for. And once all the sheep are back in the fold, the shepherd is going to lay down his body at the gate. And in that way, there is nothing that is going to come in or go out of the pen without the shepherd knowing, and he will provide security for them in that way. But Jesus pushes the illustration farther, and he says, no, he says, I am the good shepherd, and through me you will find salvation, and you will find rest, and you will find food and water and pasture. I am the source of life. And this will come through me, the good shepherd. The other thing that Jesus points out here is the difference between the shepherd who owns the sheep and a hired hand. And it's very similar in our vernacular today of the difference between an employer and an employee. Have you ever said this, thought this, or heard somebody say this? They don't pay me enough to do blank. You see, that's a hired hand. That's an employee. I will go this far in what I will do for you, but once you hit that point, I'm done. I'm out of here. I will do nothing more. But the owner of a company doesn't do that. The owner of a sheep doesn't do that. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I don't stop here. I give everything for my sheep. I will lay down my life for my sheep. You see, the shepherd does not just lay down his body, but this good shepherd gives his life. And that's our first point this morning. The good shepherd gives life. Look at our text, verse 11, verse 15. I laid down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. I laid down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Notice two things in this passage. First of all, that Jesus, the good shepherd, laying down his life is voluntary. He does it of his own accord. He does it out of his love and out of his grace and out of his mercy. He desires, he wants to give his life. It's not as some people want to proclaim and they say, well, that Jesus dying is a form of cosmic child abuse, where evidently in their, in their worldview, uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were in heaven and it's, they must have drawn straws or something and Jesus pulled the short straw. So guess what? You're the one that's going to have to go suffer and you're the one that's going to be punished and you're the one that's going to pay the price and it's some kind of abuse and that is absolutely not true. Jesus says, I came and I lay my life down of my own accord. It is my love that causes me to do that. I created my sheep. They mean everything to me, and I will give everything I have for them. The second thing we see in this passage is that Jesus has the authority. He has the authority to lay his life down, and he has authority to take his life back up again. He, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are in complete control of all the events that are leading up to this. Notice when when Adam spoke last week, he talked about how there were so many times in Scripture where we see it says, the hour has not come. The hour had yet not come. The hour had come. 
Jesus was in control. God was in control of all these events. It's not Pilate. It's not the religious leaders that are having their way with Jesus. They didn't just catch Jesus. They've been plotting to kill Jesus for a long time. They've been trying to trick him and get him. You see text in Scripture where it says that he, he snuck away. He sneaked out of the crowd. He got away. Was it just because Jesus was more covert than everybody else that he was able to get away from them? No, it's because the time had yet not come. And in the garden, it wasn't because the disciples were sleeping and Jesus was praying that they were able to get him. It was because the time had come. He has complete authority over what is happening. Do you ever notice in Scripture all the areas and domains in which Jesus has authority? He has authority in his teaching. Even as a little boy in the temple, they were amazed at his answers and his understanding. When he began his ministry and was teaching, people said, isn't that the son of the carpenter? How does he have this kind of understanding? When he ends the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, it says, and they were amazed at his teaching because he spoke and taught as one who had authority and not like their teachers of the law. Jesus has authority over nature. He came to a tree that was not bearing fruit, a fig tree, and he cursed it, and the tree withered. He was with the disciples in a boat, and they come to a storm, and he stands up and he says, Peace, be still. And the disciples go, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? He has authority over our physical beings. He heals every kind of disease and affliction. Lame, deaf, dumb, blind, mute, leprosy, paralyzed. He heals every type of disease. He has complete authority over the physical body. He has authority over sin. When the friends of the paralytic brought them to Jesus, I'm sure they wanted him to heal his paralysis. And the room was crowded, and so they go up on the roof, and they open the roof, and they lower him down. And Jesus says that when he saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders and those in the room, in their minds were going, that's blasphemy. Who is this man that he thinks he can forgive sins? And Jesus knows what they're thinking, and he turns to them and says, what's easier to say? Is it easier to say that your sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk? Well, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because how do you know? You don't know. But Jesus says to them to show you that I have the authority to forgive sins. Take up your bed and walk. And the paralytic man receives a healing that required healing of systems in his body from the tip of his head to the bottom of his feet, and he gets up and he walks out. Jesus has authority over the spiritual realm. When he encounters demons, they know who he is. We know who you are, Son of the Most High. And when Jesus tells them to do and to go, they obey him because he has authority over the demonic, the the spiritual realm. He has authority over death. Jairus comes to Jesus with his daughter being sick and and she dies in the meantime. And Jesus comes to her and says, Little girl, Get up. Lazarus dies, and Mary and Martha are saying, Oh, Jesus, if you'd have only been here earlier, you could have done something, Jesus. But death is a barrier, evidently, we think, for Jesus. 
Jesus says, no, Lazarus, come forth, and he raises the dead. But Jesus does not just have authority over other people's death. He has authority over his own death. He says, I have the authority to lay my life down, and I have the authority to take it up again. When he stands before Pilate, as we heard Friday night, Pilate is questioning him. And at some points, Jesus does not answer him. And I can almost hear Pilate being irritated and pulling the power card with Jesus and say, don't you know who I am? I have the authority to set you free, and I have the authority to crucify you. Let me pull the power card on you, Jesus. And I can hear Jesus just quietly responding to him, Pilate, you have no authority over me except that which my Father in heaven has given you. Jesus is in complete authority, even to the point to when he's hanging on the cross. He says in the Gospel of John, it is finished, and he bows his head, and he gives up his life. He hands it over. He gives it to the Father. In the other Gospels, we hear him say, Father, into thy hand I commit my spirit. His life was not taken from him. He gives his life for the sheep. And even if we go beyond all that and we look at the Great Commission, speaking of authority, how does Jesus start off the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has authority over every realm. Now let me ask you a question. When Jesus was on the cross and he says, it is finished, was it finished? Now in a way, the answer to that question is yes, and in a way, the answer to that question is no. Because the cross is where he, he conquered sin. The cross is where he paid the price. He is the sacrificial lamb that made the offering that atoned for sin. That is what happened on the cross. But Jesus also said, as, no, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be in the earth three days and rise. I will destroy the temple, and I will rebuild it in three days. I will lay down my life. I will take it up again. Why did Jesus need to rise Well, the resurrection from the tomb, in essence, is a validation of everything that Jesus had done. The, the uh, Roman leaders, the Jewish leaders, they heard Jesus make those statements, and they were going to make sure he didn't rise. They had no thought or understanding that he could actually rise. They thought the disciples would trick him. And so when Jesus was put in the tomb, they large, rolled a large stone in front of the tomb and they sealed this tomb and they put guards there. There was going to be no way anything or anyone was getting in or out of this tomb. Have you ever been in a situation where you've seen people or maybe yourself have been in a situation where you didn't understand the power of the item or person with whom you were dealing? My dad and I were uh, camping one time in Yosemite way back in the 70s when there was a huge bear problem in Yosemite at those times. And, and dad and I, we would just throw our sleeping bags on the ground at night and sleep on the ground. And one night in the middle of the night, I, I get this nudge and I hear this, Kip, wake up bears and about 20 feet from us were two bears and they were out there rolling around playing with a package of foil evidently they had gotten somebody's food and they were having a grand time playing with this and we watched them for a bit until they left 
went back to bed, and in the morning when we got up, we noticed our neighbors were packing up and leaving. Well, they'd just gotten there the day before, and they told us they were going to be there for a week. So we went over to them and said, why are you guys leaving? What's happening? And they said, oh, the bears got into our ice chest. They got all of our food. Oh, it was you guys. It was you guys. Well, where did you have it? They were in a camper. And they said, well, we had it in the ice chest, you know, the metal ice chest of the 70s, and we had locked it in the ice chest, and we put the ice chest right outside the back door of the camper, and we stuck a five-gallon bottle of water on top of it. We thought that would keep the bears out. Really? Water weighs eight pounds per gallon. That's a 40-pound bottle of water. And they thought that would keep a baby two to 300-pound bear or a full-grown six to 800-pound bear out of their ice chest. You have no clue of the power of a bear and what you're dealing with. And likewise, the Romans and the Jewish leaders, they heard Jesus say he would rise. But you know the verse they didn't hear Jesus say? They must not have heard Jesus say, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be cast into the sea and it would be moved. And they actually thought a little rock was going to keep him in the tomb. He is the risen Lord. He is reigning. He is ruling. Now, why did he have to raise? Why did he have to rise from the dead. What was that the significance? As Randy said on Friday night, remember the cross is where we, we, where he paid the price. The cross is what he asked us to remember. This is my body which was given for you. This is my blood which was shed for you. So why did he have to rise? Because the, ri- the resurrection from the dead, which is the the linchpin of the Christian faith, is the stamp of approval. It's the seal that that is my son. Look at Romans 1. Romans 1, when Paul is introducing the letter and himself to the Romans, he says, regarding the Son, who is to his human nature is a descendant of David, but who through the Spirit of holiness is declared with power to be the Son of God. How? By his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection from the dead is the validation stamp of everything that he has done so far. The good shepherd has the authority to lay his life down and the good shepherd has the authority to give his life, to take his life back up. But why does the good shepherd give his life? Number two, because the good shepherd gives life. Look at verse 10. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Beyond what is anticipated, exceeding expectation, joyful, abundant life is what he has come to offer us. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. It says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He took on flesh. He became like us. So that by his death, his death is the purpose for which he came. That is the ultimate reason why he came. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death and free those who all their lives were held in slavery to what? Death? No. 
to the fear of death. All of our lives, we are held in slavery by the fear of death. And it will take a lot of persuasion for you to convince me that mankind is not afraid of death. Just walk out your doors right now. Go to the store. We are often in our lives, we are consumed in our lives with fearing death. And Jesus says, no, I died, I defeated sin, I defeated death, and I am here to offer you life. I remember a story I was told almost probably between 30 and 40 years ago, and and maybe some of the reasons why I remembered this story is I went to school with a boy like this. The the, the child in my school, his name was Henry, and he was fighting a terminal illness. And so for years, Henry missed a great deal of school. And, and this story was a story about another boy named Steve who was in the same circumstance where, where he was missing not days and weeks of a school year. He was missing months. But they wanted to keep promoting him along with his classmates to keep him in his class. And so after years of this, when he was in fifth or sixth grade, he was not academically where the rest of the the kids in his class were. He was behind. He didn't catch on to things as quick as everybody else, and everybody understood why. Well, one day they had been talking about life in the class, and so the teacher gave them the assignment. She said, I want you to go home and find something that's symbolic of life to you, and I want you to bring it in. Now, you kids, you're at home right now, many of you. If you were given that assignment or that task, what would you get? As you look around your house, inside, outside, what would you find that would be symbolic of life to you? Maybe that's something you can do this afternoon with your family and and find something and talk about it. Why does it reflect or remind you of life? Well, that's what these kids did, and on their next day of school, they came in and they started putting the items all around the teacher's desk, and when the time came, the teacher picked up the first item, which was a rose, and she talked about a rose, how you have to prune the rose bush back, and then it will grow and start, you'll see leaves appear on it, and then buds will appear on it, and those buds will blossom into beautiful and fragrant flowers, but over time, The petals on that rose will wither and they will fall off and the rose will die and you'll have to prune it again and it will produce more roses. She also talked about a rose and try this kids, give your mom a rose and see the light and life that it brings to her face. She set that item down and picked up the second item. And the second item she picked up was a rock. And she looked at this rock because a rock does not have life in it. It, It's an inanimate object. And she kind of looked at it and she turned the rock over. And when she turned it over, she saw that there was moss growing on the bottom side of the rock. She said, oh, that's so good because the rock in and of itself is dead, but it can provide a place for life to grow and to flourish as that moss was on the rock. She set the rock down and she picked up the third item and this is where the story will date itself because what she picked up was a large plastic egg. They were called legs eggs. They were eggs that women's hosiery came in in the 70s and 80s. So they were like your plastic eggs you have today, but they were really big. And she looked at this egg. They were plain or they had different colors, but there were no markings on the egg. And she did what many of you kids will do. She took the egg and she shook it. Didn't hear anything. 
And so what's the next thing you do? You open it up and you look inside and she looked inside that egg and she didn't see anything. And as she was closing the egg back up, she remembered that was what Steve had put on her desk. And she didn't want to embarrass Steve and she just thought maybe he didn't understand the assignment. So she just quietly set the egg back down and reached for the next item and sure enough, Steve blurted out, teacher, that's mine. She said, well, Steve, I I wanted you to find something that was symbolic to life to you and bring it in. And he said, I did. She said, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Would you explain to me? He said, open it up. She said, I did, Steve, it's empty. And he said, yes, and Jesus' tomb is empty. And that's life. I have come to give you life and life abundant. I am the risen king. I am the Lord of life. And my question for you today is simply this. Do you know Jesus? And do you know and are you experiencing the abundant life that Jesus gave his life for you to have? The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned but that the free gift, that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23 says that the the wages, the, the penalty for that sin is death, but that the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe you're listening today and you've never accepted that gift. Maybe you recognize the sin that is in you. You recognize that all the self-help or anything has not been able to solve that problem in you. And you recognize you need a Savior. And you can accept that gift that Jesus offers you today. He offers you life today, and you can choose life. There are no special words that are required to do that. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But maybe you go, well, I still don't know what to say. So let me give you two examples. Look at the thief on the cross who in the last hours of his life turned to Jesus and recognized that Jesus was who he claimed to be and simply made this simple but profound statement to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And in that statement, the thief on the crosses didn't tell Jesus to go tell somebody else about him. He acknowledged that Jesus, you are the way to salvation. You remember me. And you have a kingdom, and that kingdom is beyond the grave. And you are the Lord and king of that kingdom. And the thief says, I want to be a subject in your kingdom. I want to sit under your rule and under your authority. Jesus, would you remember me? And Jesus responds to him, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Or maybe you can take the words of my grandson in a different context, but it it would apply here. My grandson Josiah has Down syndrome, and one of the characteristics of Down syndrome is that they have low muscle tone. I, I say that he's flopsy. 
He folds and bends in ways that are just unbelievable. If I tried to sit in some of the ways Josiah sits, I would have to be on a chiropractic bench trying to get straightened back out again. He is very flexible. Well, one of the things Josiah likes to do is he likes to find a room with hard surfaces and floor, and we have a couple of these in our house, where he can hear his voice echo. And so on this particular occasion, he had picked the bathroom, and he was playing in the bathroom, and what he does is he takes his musical instruments in, and he plays his whistles, and he plays his flutes, and he pounds on his drum, and he dances, and he sings, and he squeals, and joy is exuding from Josiah when he does this. This is an almost daily occurrence for him. And we love to watch him do this. And we love to listen to him do this. And on this occasion, grandma and mom, my wife and daughter, were at the house in a different room listening to him as he was just having his fun in there. And all of a sudden, they heard a squeal that was different. And you know moms and dads and grandparents. You know your kids. And you know their voice, just like Jesus said, I know my sheep and they know my voice. There's an intimacy there. And we heard a squeal that was different. Now, it was not a squeal of him being hurt, but there was something amiss. And so they went in to check on him and they opened the bathroom door. Well, evidently, Josiah had wanted to get something out of the laundry basket. And it was a flexible laundry basket. And he started reaching and reaching for it and he fell in. And when he fell in, the whole basket collapsed on him. And when they opened the door and walked in the room, there was Josiah inside this laundry basket, all collapsed on top of him with his legs sticking out. And he heard his mom and he uttered three words, help, trouble, stuck. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're stuck in your sin and you haven't figured out a way to solve it. Maybe you're upside down in this life with your feet firmly planted in midair. You're untethered. You have this vacuum in your life because God intended you to be in relationship with him. And no matter what you stuff it with that this world has to offer, it doesn't fill the void. And you need help. And you can utter those three words. And Jesus will hear those words and come to you this morning. Maybe you're a person here listening today that you know of your sin and you know you need a Savior and you have accepted Christ and you have accepted his gift of salvation and you are trusting him for eternal life. You are trusting him in your death. And my question for you is, are you trusting him in your life? Does it have an impact in your life today? There's a benediction that we use often here at Grace. It's a verse I've been thinking about a lot lately and been sharing it with people. In fact, Kenny used it last week as our benediction, and it's Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him. There seems to be a connection there. And when he fills you with joy and peace, what happens? So that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you experiencing the joy of the Lord that is your strength? Are you experiencing the peace of God that surpasses understanding? I wanna to touch on that a little bit. What does that mean? When have we seen examples of that in scripture where we see the peace of God surpassing understanding? Well, let's go back to Jesus in the boat. 
Remember, he had told his disciples to get in a boat to go to the other side. So his disciples obeyed Jesus, did what he asked them to do. They get in the boat, they head to the other side, and they end up in a storm where they are fearful of their life. Waves are overtaking the boat, and they are certain that they are going to die. And before Jesus said, peace be still, where was he? He was asleep on a cushion in the back of the boat. And I will submit to you that that is the peace of God that surpasses understanding, and he offers that to us. He says, you can find rest in a restless situation. Do you know that rest? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If either of these are you this morning, we would love to talk to you. We would love to walk alongside you to introduce you to Jesus, to help you take another step forward in your walk with Jesus. This is what we mean when we say that our vision is to, be, to present everyone mature in Christ. Is we want to come alongside each other and just say, can I help you take one more step closer to Jesus? Just one more step closer to Jesus, whether it is your first step or your third millionth step we want to help you so if you would contact us and the way we're asking you to do that is through email we set up an email address prayer at ev free excuse me prayer at grace ev free dot org prayer at grace ev free dot org and you write us And one of the leaders or elders of grace, we will get in touch with you and walk alongside you and help you. We're going to finish the service this morning by singing the great hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns. And notice the second verse that we will be singing today. Crown Him the Lord of life, who triumphed o'er the grave who rose victorious in the strife of those he came to save. All glories now we sing, who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring, and lives that death may die. Our desire, my desire, is that you would just not crown him the Lord of life, but that today, you would crown him the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me? Father, you are the risen, triumphant, victorious king. You are the one who gave your life for the sheep. You gave everything you had for us. And you come to us and offer us life, Father. We are so grateful for that gift that you offer us, that free gift, that I have nothing that I can do to obtain it except reach out and accept it from you. Father, would we accept your gift? Would we live in the abundant life that you died to give us? Would that be evident in the circumstances of our lives today? In whatever situation we find ourselves, Father, would we find ourselves live in the abundant life that you died to give us? You are the Lord of life. We love you. Amen.